Welcome to the Popecast, episode 13. This week's Pope, wait for it, was actually condemned as a heretic by an ecumenical council of the church. Cue the ominous music. At long last, some papal antics that finally pulls the curtain back on the impossibility of papal infallibility. Right? Well, we shall see. At Pope number 70, it's Honorius I. Hey there, I'm Matthew Sewell, and this is the podcast about popes for people who love learning about history but aren't real excited about reading a dry, dusty history book. Each episode, we feature one of the 264 bishops of Rome, telling stories of good and bad popes alike, all in an effort to draw out the importance of the papacy, the gravity of the office of Peter, and the inestimable value that the Catholic Church has brought to Western civilization. It's finally here, the third and final installment in the Popecast's Infallibility series, an in-depth look into the three popes most often blamed by the critics of Catholicism for why papal infallibility is a false doctrine. Are they right? Are they not? Well, first it was Pope Liberius, then Vigilius, and to close out the series, this episode, it's Pope Honorius I. So Honorius I was born in Campania in southern Italy, likely sometime in the late 6th century, where his father was a Byzantine council. Other than that, we don't know anything about Honorius until his election to the papacy in 625, a mere two days after the death of his immediate predecessor Boniface V. Honorius did a lot of good work in his first nine years in office, which I'll get to in a bit, but it was the year 634 where things started to get interesting. Brewing in the East was a new heresy, known to us now as monothelitism, the belief that Christ, though he had two natures, divine and human, possessed only one will that being the divine will. Chalk it up to a shoddy attempt by Sergius, the patriarch of Constantinople, to reconcile the Monophysite heresy, which taught that Christ only had one nature, with the Orthodox Catholic belief that had been handed down a couple hundred years earlier at the Council of Chalcedon in 451. As it goes with most compromises, no one was really that high on the idea, but Sergius had one card left to play. News of the heresy had yet to spread all the way westward, meaning the Pope hadn't heard of it yet. Wanting to score some points for his effort from the boss, Sergius penned a letter to Pope Honorius for comment, thinking that his craftiness would get him a favorable response. Sergius was intentionally confusing in the language that he used when posing the question to Honorius. The way he spelled it out, it was a decision between Christ having a single, quote, operation, or will, or two contrary wills. As a smokescreen, this was presented alongside Sergius regaling Honorius with tales about how he'd been reconciling many heretics back into communion with the church through his supposedly tiresome efforts. In essence, Sergius was driving at the idea that teaching the two wills of Christ would lead people to believe that the human will was in opposition to the divine will, and it was impossible for God to be opposed to God, which is technically true. Therefore, it must be taught, right, as Sergius' logic, that Christ had but one divine will in union with the Father. But the whole thing amounted to a false dichotomy, not to mention Sergius himself could be seen more as a politician than a theologian anyway. Even if he was well-meaning in his attempt to win back heretics to orthodoxy, he still really wanted the Pope to be on his side either way, and made every effort then to construct the language of his letters to serve that desire. 
In the end, Honorius wrote back to Sergius, as the Catholic Encyclopedia recounts, praising the patriarch, quote, for eventually dropping the new expression, quote, one operation, but he unfortunately also agreed with him that it will be well to avoid two operations in uh, the language also. The same source notes, more importantly, quote, his answer to Sergius did not decide the question, did not authoritatively declare the faith of the Roman Church, did not claim to speak with the voice of Peter. It condemned nothing. It, divined no- it defined nothing, end quote. And that's our key when it comes to the point of whether or not Honorius officially taught heresy. The Pope clearly wasn't defining or condemning anything. As a result, it's impossible for his statement to be considered an ex cathedra utterance. Now, of course, even though Honorius wasn't guilty of heresy, his actions in this particular segment of his papacy still were hardly blameless. The Pope was still negligent in his refusal to dive more deeply into the question and root out the newfound heresy. It was his duty as leader of the Universal Church to solemnly proclaim the truth on the two wills of Christ, or at least put forth more of an effort to firmly define it. Honorius would only live a couple more years after this all went down, dying on October 12, 638. But history, of course, had hardly heard the last of him. It all came to a head just over four decades after Honorius' death, at the Sixth Council of Constantinople in 680. It was here that the whole church openly condemned monothelitism once and for all, along with the individuals who held and taught the false doctrine. One of those people condemned, as we now know, was none other than Pope Honorius himself. Surely, that's no small thing, a pope being called out after death and ruled to be excommunicated. However, it's very important to mark the distinction of when a council's decrees begin to hold sway. Warren Carroll, an American historian and founder of Virginia's Christendom College, noted in his two-volume History of Christendom that, quote, no decree of a council has effect in the Catholic Church unless and until it is confirmed by the reigning pope and only in the form that he confirms it, end quote. This is especially important, that last phrase, because the council in Constantinople's decrees were modified before being finally approved by Pope St. Leo II. See, some previously thought, and perhaps this is where some anti-Catholic confusion comes into play, that Pope St. Agatho, who reigned at the time the council was convened, had approved the council's decrees automatically, when in fact Agatho had already been dead for several months before news of the council's actions reached Rome. By that time, Leo II was on the papal throne and upon reviewing the council documents, clarified its language slightly on Pope Honorius, making sure to note that though his predecessor wasn't a heretic, as Leo noted in a letter to the Spanish bishops, Honorius, quote, did not, as became the apostolic authority, extinguish the flame of heretical teaching in its first beginning, but fostered it by his negligence, end quote. Did you do this on purpose? No, I was being negligent. The biggest bummer in all of this is that aside from this big hullabaloo, Honorius was actually a pretty solid pope. Better than most, even, not counting the monothelite issue. During his life, he was universally respected and was well known to have blameless morals and a spotless reputation. His hallmarks were restoring many churches in Rome. The Catholic Encyclopedia notes that few popes did more when it came to beautifying the church's patrimony. In fact, a portrait of Honorius can be found in the apse mosaic of Rome's Church of St. Agnes for any visitors to Rome. Honorius excelled even beyond his spiritual duties, too. Dwindling Byzantine power in the West meant that the Pope had to take charge of upholding the civil infrastructure aside from his religious duties. As a result, Honorius began managing the Roman aqueducts and the city's water supply, in addition to already overseeing the food supply. No small feat considering the size and scope of caring for a city the size of Rome. 
One other notable accomplishment of Honorius's included helping the Irish church bring their timing and celebration of Easter in line with the rest of the Christian world. He received a delegation from Southern Ireland that's still a part of recorded history. It's said that the Irish Christians made their pilgrimage to Rome coming, quote, as children to their mother, end quote. The controversy of Honorius's negligence has admittedly haunted the church for centuries and thus makes up the legacy of this particular pope. In particular, Honorius's condemnation was mentioned in the breviary, the daily prayer of the church, on St. Leo II's feast day up until the 18th century, and the issue of a pope possibly being a heretic sure didn't help matters during the great Western schism of the 14th century or the Protestant Reformation of the 16th, both cases where papal infallibility were called into serious question. Finally, it was of special importance during the First Vatican Council in the late 1800s, where papal infallibility was finally dogmatically defined. Thankfully, at the very least, we can now be certain of the key distinctions in the case of Honorius and know for certain that he never taught heresy. As Patrick Madrid said in his great book, Pope Fiction, quote, not careful enough, yes, heretical, no, end quote. So as we wrap up this week, maybe I'm just a bit of a nerd, but our quote this week is a dandy and mercifully helps us end on a positive note. It comes from a letter that Pope Honorius wrote to St. Honorius of Canterbury, a British archbishop and former Benedictine monk, which was preserved by St. Bede and, believe it or not, is still in existence. The letter itself began more as a morale booster, encouraging Honorius and his brother Bishop Paulinus, the two of whom were responsible for all of the Christians in Britain at the time. But the second half of the letter outlines the rules for how to appoint a new archbishop when one is called home to heaven, and also contains something both very interesting and very relevant to our consideration of Catholicism today. As we'll hear in a minute, Honorius speaks with the authority of St. Peter, some 900 years before the Reformation, and mentions specifically something called a pallium, a garment that's been granted to archbishops by the Pope to denote their office and responsibility for centuries. Look up the Archbishop of New York or Los Angeles or Chicago as a few examples, and you'll see the very same pallium draped around his neck when presiding over liturgies in that capacity. So here it is from Honorius' letter. Quote, Wherefore, in accordance with your requests, and that of the kings, our sons, we do hereby in the name of the blessed Peter, chief of the apostles, grant you authority that when the divine grace shall call either of you to himself, the survivor shall ordain a bishop in the room of him that is deceased. To which end also we have sent a pal to each of you, beloved, for celebrating the said ordination, that by the authority which we hereby commit to you, you may make an ordination acceptable to God, because the long distance of sea and land that lies between us and you has obliged us to grant you this, that no loss may happen to your church in any way, on any pretext whatever, but that the devotion of the people committed to you may increase the more. God preserve you in safety, most dear brother given the 11th day of June in the year of our Lord, 634, end quote. Powerful stuff. Anyway, that's it for this week. If you're a new listener or an old listener and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast at iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Even a short one helps a great deal and ensures that more folks just like you can find and learn about the Pope's. Also, if you're enjoying the Popecast and want to ensure that we can keep churning these out, please visit patreon.com slash Sewell. For a buck or two an episode, you can get early access to each podcast episode, plus access to other sweet patron-only benefits. That's patreon.com slash M-A-T-T-S-E-W-E-L-L. If you're not sure uh, if you want to become a patron yet, at least go ahead and follow us. We're, we're, we're posting stuff there all the time. Um, and then lastly, for more great papal content, check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Popecast, just at The Popecast. There we'll have daily papal quotes 
posts for sainted popes feast days, and of course, updates on new episodes. If you still can't get enough of the popes, be sure to check those out. As we exit, let us say a quick prayer for the soul of Pope Honorius I and ask for the prayers of those saintly popes who came before and after him. Until next time.